we've had global lockdown, which at the moment doesn't look like it's particularly about to, to finish with a snap of the fingers. And we've got really used to having entire fashion weeks online with film, with um, AI, with all, all the things. How do you feel, basically, and I want to explore it a bit more than, than my first question, but how do you feel about the whole thing about whether it's online, do we miss having people in a room? How do we use all the different ways of, of technology that are out there? Do you think it's all good? Um, I think that the people who are responding completely negatively to the sort of uh, digital transformation of, of facets of the industry are doing so out of um, either either they, they, they feel it's a threat uh, or it's a way to legitimize their position. Um, but I think it reminds me of, of all the other transformations that have happened in the industry where the sort of old guard or, or the um, groups of people who maybe weren't as technologically savvy reacted in pretty much the same way. And what I'm thinking about is if we go all the way back, uh, the first thing I can think of is when ready to wear and the manufacturing processes came out in the US and haute couture started to say, well, this isn't fashion. Yeah. And then you know later on you had um, knitwear production that came out. And then later we had transformations in um, uh, uh, printing processes and then digital prints. And then we have e-commerce and now we have new delivery systems in which, in which clothing and uh, experiences can be um, meted out to the consumer. I don't necessarily think that they're actually adversarial towards each other in the same way that a haute couture client is not going to be influenced by a fast fashion campaign. It's just mm. not the same. Uh, I think that there are new revenue streams that are starting to open within the industry that we're not exactly sure what it means. Um, but I think it's not really possible to compare a sort of fashion times gaming collaboration with uh, you know, an actual IRL collection. Um, to give like an interesting example, uh, Stefan Cook just did a collection, a collaboration with Sims. And if you went on to um, something like YouTube and you looked at the comments of the people who play the Sims, suffice to say they were not happy, <laughs> didn't love it. So it's an entirely different, um, and they didn't know who, who Stephen Cook was, absolutely no clue, um, which I'm not surprised. I mean, how, why would you really, um, outside of the, uh, you know, the uh, sphere of, of fashion and, and people who are actually very much into it, um, you know, because The Sims is, is extremely wide reaching and, and um, essentially global at this point. Um, so that's just an entirely different audience in a different medium. And I think that uh, as we've moved away from a sort of monoculture where, you know, not everyone's watching the same movie or the same TV show anymore, you can't necessarily get your brand's work onto those sort of, you know, major uh, uh, cultural pieces and then hope that it's going to reach the audience that you actually want. So you have to figure out new streams of, of, of basically getting in touch with those um, consumers or, or, you know, the audience that you do want. And that may mean doing a digital side to it, doing the IRL for the, you know, the loyal customers who like this, doing the couture things. And I think it's just going to be another stream as social media is another stream 
um, uh, to um, you know in-person press appointments. Very interesting. I'm obviously of a generation and an age group where the world of um, social media, of technology and everything has transformed. But I think one of the most interesting things that you touched on there is something that I feel so much is, I think audiences, for want of a better word, whether it's for a fashion show or, you know, a fashion advert or whatever it might be, are so much more fragmented. Because I've been on in lockdown here in uh, Mallorca very early on, because obviously here, tourism is very important and all the restaurants and cafes. Although people weren't coming back, they immediately here embraced QR codes for all the menus. Mm. There are very few people here have a menu anymore. Mm. They'll use a blackboard to put up the things of the day, but everything else is on, is on the QR code. And I hear people saying, I hate them. You know, I want a menu back. Mm. And in the same way, I was shocked at how Chanel and Dior basically said, we're not interested in a global pandemic. We are still going to do cruise in Dubai. We are still going to do as many shows. We are still going to try and get a live audience into a space, even if we're, we're running close to the, the law. Um, mm. And I think this, this disconnect of different people's responses it is fragmenting a lot of the ideas where it's not about me, me sorry, but I, I guess what I'm saying to you is, don't you think that it can be much more diverse and audience appropriate? If we want the whole idea of what we use in, in communications, whether it's TikTok or a gaming or whatever it might be. Um, yes, I, I think that there are parts of, of, of this new technology that could that you, you could bring into uh, uh, these sort of promotional and um, um, you know online uh, presentations. Uh, but I think I think your point about the fragmentation is that. I think if Chanel, Chanel is a calculated brand, they'll yeah. never do something that they that will you know alienate their core customers. And I think in that fragmentation, even though we're all connected in social media, we all don't have the same values mm. in the sense, or or value the same things, or or at least value them to the same degree that other people do. Yeah. And I think. In Chanel's case, it's probably a calculated um, uh, move in the sense that their customers want this. Yeah. And even if it does go in the face of, of uh, um, you know, current cultural mores, I don't think Chanel would do it if, if it actually affected their customers. I think that's the other thing is like we're very fragmented and, and people seem to forget that, you know, the different types of groups that make up fashion and, and the people who purchase Haute Couture don't think like the design team. No. I tell you that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think there's that interesting thing where, um, yeah, from an outward perspective, you, you look at that and you think, oh, well, why are you doing this? Clearly there's a push against it, but well, maybe not so much to their customers. Maybe they need that. Uh, I mean, you've and you've been to the couture shows much more than I have. 
but I always liked to go into, you know, some of the hotels during that time and sit in the cafe and just, you could just pick out who the customers yeah. were, you knew. Yeah. And they, you know, they're all, they're, you know, some Florida accents, Texas accents. This is their time to come to Paris. This is their, you know, their big trip. If you change that to online, I think they, there's nothing special about it. Cause I think the trip is as special as actually purchasing the clothing to them. I think then I would also ask what your view is about the fact that the idea of people watching the shows and writing about them and critiquing them and having, you know, pages in the newspapers and in the magazines and so on. I feel that that's really almost vanished now, that that idea that they're, well, the front rows are full of journalists and mm -hmm. full of observers who are going to comment on it. That doesn't really exist in the same way as it used to. I don't think it holds as much importance um, to generations that are younger than mine. Um, I remember when we were all at the MA, you know, we had three um, desktop computers uh, that we were allowed to use. You had to, you know, sign in with your own uh, um, you know, student email. And the first thing we all did was we went on to British Folk and we looked at the bottom of the page, the digital page, and they had like three boxes. And those three boxes were the updates. And that told us what happened for the day. And that was it. We went on it and you know, we got all of our information yeah. there. Um, and we were obsessed with uh, the reviews because that was the only way that you could kind of get an idea of what was happening in the broader culture. You know, Who was pulling that reference in, what everyone was looking at. Um, but I think, again, as, as this as social media, you know, infinitely fragments everything away, people don't necessarily care as much about reading the reviews uh, of those shows as they do in seeing the clothing in situations with people that they find more interesting uh, or, or, you know, essentially ambassadors of the brand. So there's more of a, a push towards um, hearing what uh, maybe a commenter thinks on Instagram, yeah. then there really is of, uh, you know, people who have worked in that industry or work for, I would say more for like legacy publications. Yeah. They, want to hear, they want to hear from somebody who, you know, feels as close to them as possible yeah. with having that little bit more, little bit more knowledge than they do, because then they feel that in my view that they can better relate to the idea of what's happening. I think, I think that's, you know, one of the things that's been fascinating for me is I, I went onto Instagram very early and I've watched it through its transformation, which was that originally there was no conversation on Instagram. Mm. Yeah. And now, you know, particularly with things like high fashion talk and so on, but, you know, especially with the communication that Italian Vogue are doing via Instagram, that mm. in a comparatively short time, not only was Instagram set up and formed, but it's then transformed within itself. Mm. And I think that, again, with fashion, is something that a lot of people are slightly resistant to. But I find it very interesting, as you're saying, about the, 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 the kind of heritage establishment brands, that that's right for them. Do you think that will always stay true, though? Um, I mean, I think fashion, like any other uh, uh, 
uh, cultural institution is affected by mediums and yeah. as the medium changes uh the the sort of traditional players become you know reanointed and then after they say i mean you you know you think about when Susie bubble came in uh you know there was that backlash against bloggers and now um you know you yeah. know, i talk to my students and nobody knows what a blog is so you know <laughs> you, i would i would consider her I would consider her part of the old establishment now. I mean, yeah. I, I wouldn't definitely wouldn't consider her part of the new. And even something like Diaprada, I would consider that part of the old establishment. Yeah. It's it's gone from having you know critiques or, or, or um, critiques of the shows with all of these reference points to okay, now I'm here as a person of your um, uh, your same outlook, and this is what I think, but still quite a big block of text to condensing even more. And being about the visuals to getting to something like TikTok and kind of just giving ideas about the collection in quick snippets. And it seems like it condenses further and further down. Um, and I don't know where it's going from here in those terms. Uh, I think that eventually it gets to a point where it swings back, um, where people start to actually want to have some sort of analysis on the cultural impact of fashion but i think the problem with it is that because all of our groups are so segmented yeah. it's very difficult to actually look at fashion and say that it has any effect on cultural movements at all because if i look at what you know people who who want to look good and want to wear expensive clothing but don't want to look rich you know those are people who are wearing laura piano the, the, or, uh, yeah. um, yeah. you know brunello uh you know all those sorts of italian lardini morer like you know these like kind of yeah. smaller underground not underground but like smaller not as well-known italian brands yeah. you wouldn't you wouldn't know unless you unless you know who they yeah. are and when you do you're like oh wow that is like a four thousand pound you know number <laughs> And then you have other groups who, uh, you know, it's about um, Bottega Veneta, it's about Balenciaga, all those sorts of things. Uh, so it's hard to get really a cultural critique of it at the moment, I think, just because there's so many different cultural points that people are coming from, and it's just so increasingly fragmented. Um, I think that what's very interesting, what you've just said as well, is that I think what's happened too is that to a degree we've educated the customers more about not having to follow fashion hmm. that they can be themselves and that they know what so the idea that you know they're told what the color of the season is or they're told who the artist designer is hmm. i think there's an awful lot of people who don't look at fashion in that way hmm. i think that the rick owens client and the people that adore Rick Owens as a group of people across the world are not interested in whether he does a good or a bad collection or whether the critics say he, you know, ricks out this season. They love it and they will continue to buy it and support it. I mean, it's interesting to see, particularly like a brand like Rick Owens. So you have the, uh, the sort of like idea of what he, you know, rightly so believes what the customer is, but I know who the customer is of this this brand and a lot of those guys live in like western pennsylvania yeah. and you know just love the sneakers 
<laughs> just really like them. You know, they would never <laughs> wear the leather pieces ever under no circumstance. But those 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 um, trainers, they're obsessed with them. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's that fragmentation of of um, the customer, and they will never interact with a rickshaw. They'll never look at a rickshaw ever. They don't care. Mm. It doesn't matter to them. Um, they really don't are not interested in any of the concepts behind it. Um, so it's just an interesting. I think it's a really interesting point in fashion right now because uh, everyone's trying to solidify that customer base. And yet, I think even for different types of products, your customer base is so varied that um, you're just trying to just trying to hang on. <laughs> but I, I think this fragmentation is it, and, and the customer wanting what they want. Back to the sneakers, mm. is that if it's what they want, it's it, I'm fascinated by the continuing thing of the tabby boot from mm. Margiela, which, you know, is still a cult object and still, you know, going to be reinterpreted, whatever. That's, if, if what we were relying on were the fashion editors, mm. that, that would not exist. Mm. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting to see um, the sort of reference points that uh, each generation picks out going forward. And yeah. I was um, speaking to a friend of mine, uh, you know, saying that uh, I remember the the reference points that we would pick out from Margiela, and and the ones that we wouldn't, the ones that we wouldn't is what's is what everyone's picking out now, yeah. which is quite hilarious because it's yes. like okay, well the taste has totally changed because I remember looking at you know some of the oversized stuff and thinking oh this is terrible, <laughs> yeah, so badly, and then you look at it now and how that's being reinterpreted and it's quite exciting. I think it's because we know that of all the things we're not ever a thousand percent guaranteed to get right is predicting mm. what will eventually happen with fashion. Yeah. Those days yeah. Are, are, are way gone. It's going to be red and that's all we're going to do. <laughs> you can forget it. <laughs> Thank you very much. Do you want to add anything to that? Um, no, just thanks for having me. Thank you very much indeed. That was terrific.